You think I'm an ignorant savage, and you've been so many places, I guess it must be so, but I still cannot see, if the savage one is me. How can there be so much that you don't know, you don't know, cause how could you give your love to someone else, and share your dreams with me? Sometimes everything you're looking for, it's the one thing you can't see. But now we're standing face to face, isn't this world a crazy place? Just when I thought a chance had passed, you go and save the best for last. Alright. Why, hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition podcast where we are going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The deepest. We're just getting real deep up inside of. Oh, sorry, I had to make it gross. Uh, we're, we're oh, go- I think we're gonna we're gonna do that a lot on this podcast, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So that that's the show that we're doing tonight and every week. But anyways, my name is Wade Bowen. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey guys. And also, Hugh Crawford. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And yes, now we are talking about an episode called, uh, what was it again? Let Uh, he who is without sin dot dot dot. This episode originally aired on November 11th, 1996. It is the seventh episode of season five, and here is the IMDb description. While vacationing on Ryza, Worf and Dax meet a group of fundamentalist protesters who claim that the Federation has gone soft. (laughs) 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 By spending too much time being hard. (laughs) Right. Right. Commence with the double entendres, boy. (laughs) This, guys, all right, this is our first Ryza episode. First off, this is episode seven of season five. I it is in my opinion that this episode is actually a good episode. Thank you. I this episode. Well, first off, it's the seventh. This is the seventh episode. Is this like the fifth episode this season with ellipses at the end of it, or is that just me? Mm, that's a good. That's a good. That's I'm. I'm gonna have to go look at that. But nor no ellipses at the beginning. Uh, dot, right. dot dot dot. Nor. The battle to the strong. Okay. Yeah, they're loving yeah. quotes. They're they're big. This is their quote quote title season. Iris Stephen Bear wrote a book of quotes, <laughs> and he says, "I want a hat. I want half of each one of these in my title." <laughs> right. So this is an infamous kind of episode. I feel like right. And- yes. <laughs> um. Do you guys think this like just just rather? I need to know cards on the table. What you guys think right off the bat? Uh, I. Am- I- okay. Sorry, you sorry. go first. No, no, you good. After you, I think this this episode for uh, having like let's just say like a myriad of, of flaws, <laughs> some uh, actually centers in on one of like my favorite sort of moments in all of Star Trek, and so like I think like that affects like I think it was all building to have this moment. So no, I think this is a like I I think this was a great achievement. I. Th- thought i mean there's so much goofy stuff in this episode okay well yeah i mean we're on Ryza, so of course there is hey everybody we're all gonna get late and in in culminating in what is supposed to i, I will get to it i don't want to uh, tip my hand but what is supposed to be a very serious linchpin scene for a big deal yeah 
and it feels a little overwrought and a little little bit goofy in context. But, but uh, uh, oh, yes. I think this is an episode yeah. that's that that's a good episode. I guess my point is that this is a good episode that is not great. Right, right. I mean, it didn't. It, she. It. It wasn't transcendent. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and. This is what kills me is that here we are. We're in seven. I don't think we've ever been seven episodes. Is that we've either had great episodes or like good episodes? Oh yeah. And I and I count right. this one as as being a good one. Oh yeah, it's good. I I agree too. Like some of these episodes in the season, when you tell me about them before, my eyes go crazy and start rolling uncontrollably. And then I get to the episode and I was like, oh wait a minute, it's it's actually actually not bad. Like with that Keiko gets possessed episode beforehand, we're like, oh, oh, here we go. But it's like, oh, this episode's amazing. This one, I wouldn't say it's amazing. <laughs> well, before we start unpacking scene by scene, oh, I yeah, think, I too. yeah, yeah, I would equate, I would equate it to, um, you remember that episode that was like half a lump of shit and half Nog realizing that he's that he's Star Trek material. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that that episode, this episode doesn't have a B plot. I think they basically thrown those out and thank God. But um, it kind of has one with Lita and Julian. Yeah. I mean, it's two people, but they're all, yeah, you're right. But it's, it's all in one location. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it does work well. It's, it's integrated much better than B plots have been in the past. But I think the wharf stuff and where it ends up ultimately going makes, I don't know. I, I, I like it better than the ship. Oh, wow. If I like it. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I got a lot to say. Yeah. I got a lot to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is like almost this episode. That's the scene that we're talking about. And we'll, we'll talk about it more in detail when we get to it. Just it's a scene that they wrote. Basically, it felt like, oh, wait a minute. There's this question with Worf that people always ask. Let's give an answer to it. Why is he different what than questions? I, th- I, I give as much as I was like, oh, it's this because ep- it's come on. It's a Ryza episode. Every Ryza episode doesn't matter where it is. Usually induces some groans from some members of the Star Trek audience because yeah. it's all it's the fuck planet, you know? Well, because it's a show that shouldn't exist on a sh- like that. OK, so that was one of the reasons I'm going to mock like I'm going to take Iris Stephen Barrett to the woodshed here for a second before we get talking about the episode. <laughs> oh. He wrote it and he proposed it and he bitches about it. And he's like, oh, it didn't live up to it. All this stuff. We wish we could have it back. And they're like, why? And he was like, well, we wanted to have this episode that was all like exploring sex. Uh-huh. And then they told us we couldn't do it because the show kids watch the show and it aired at five o'clock market so we had to take a lot of the sex out and we couldn't show a lot of that <laughs> and so we had to change the story but i mean part of me wants to go like i received bad you knew what the fuck show you were writing right yeah right like you yeah. knew you worked for a syndicated television show for paramount that came on at five o'clock that kids went to <laughs> went to the conventions for like i mean right. part, yeah. part of me is like fuck you on that right well th- that is because that is the intro. It's no, it's not a new show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, that's the, that's why the show, that's why the third, the third iteration of it even exists is because it's yeah, yeah. from an after school. So, I, re- I mean, I think that I they res- all want to, they all want to pretend that, oh, this was the episode where we wanted to do like, we wanted to turn the show into Sense 8 or <laughs> something. We wanted to do, but you're not going to be able to do that. You know it. Well, Sense 8 wasn't a thing. They wanted to do Silk Stockings, is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. But I think they, 
they wanted to show orgies uh, and yeah. like hot, like all kinds of dripping wax on nipples and shit. <laughs> and like, I don't, what so if yeah, they wanted to do What was that Madonna movie where she's, oh uh, yeah, um, Body oh, of fuck, Evidence? Yeah, with Willem Dafoe. With Willem Dafoe. <laughs> was it Body of Evidence? Yes. I <laughs> I'm just trying to get the timeline right, the era. You think, you're just saying, like, that's what this is, though. This is 1996. Yeah. I mean, we've had the. Skinamax was in full force. Yeah, well, well, I mean, or they just have, like, these stories, you know, where you've got, like, disclosure type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hot, yeah. like, the hot shit thing. Basic Instinct. And, yeah. yeah, and here... Erotic thrillers were a thing still in the 90s. Like, that's a thing that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, in any form. <laughs> Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah. Duchovny's uh, starting place. Any Joel Esterhouse movie. <laughs> Joel Esterhouse himself. Joel Esterhouse himself. <laughs> his life story. Is that... Did he did Showgirls kill the uh sexual thriller? Uh maybe. When was that We got strip tease after that. We did, yeah. Yeah, but that was a bomb. And when was that movie? What was the movie where Bruce Willis showed his dick? Uh that was Color of Night, and that was two years before Showgirls. The Color of Night. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, this is... Iris Stephen Bear wants to show the color of night, but only with Worf, because he's a, he's still a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's my point, is uh, that... Well, I want to see Worf's two dicks, because that's canon now. Right. <laughs> um, but my, my, Steve, I was going to say, so Iris Stephen Bear has a habit of, partly because he's had to go to all these conventions... And have pe- he'll back off on the episodes where people are like, oh, you did too many Ferengi episodes. He's kind of like, kind of, like, yeah, I guess I did. And he, you know, or, and this one is kind of infamous because it's the costumes on Ryza are kind of. Well, there are, there are, I mean, the costumes are horribly dated, but <laughs> yeah, there are some other swings and misses on this episode yeah. where, yeah, yeah, and yeah. We, we can unpack that. But this episode opens up with actually a pretty great scene with Odo and Cisco, right? Oh, or am yeah. I thinking of a different scene? Oh, yeah. No, it does. Yeah. And, uncomf- and intensely uncomfortable as the scene goes on. Yeah. Yeah. It starts <laughs> off with Morn taking flowers to Florence Henderson or something. I don't even remember that. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. But uh, yeah. that's the immediate. I was like, oh, they were like, Morn, Morn does okay. And it, yeah, he likes. She's not old, old, but she's not young either. She's I hadn't kind of, cleared all uh, the free sure. cells when that little moment started. I had to wait like the, <laughs> right. the cup. All right. But yeah, th- then it goes to the. Uh, Odo and Cisco get their requisite moments in. Oh yeah, yeah, they got to speak. But they're sort of delightful in their in how they're yeah. like delivering their. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're talking to Dax about like. Can't you not get the shit beat out of you and you and more fuck? <laughs> yeah, like come on, man. And then O'Brien's they're naming their kid Sean, which is Bajoran for swamp. And Odo's like, uh, you tell him. I don't want to. <laughs> and Cisco's like, oh, okay, somebody should. Uh, but yeah. Then Dax is like, oh, my! I got another muscle pull. And they're just like, you've got eight muscle pulls no seven this month and two contusions and three cracked ribs. And, Isn't there any way that the two of you could... Uh, uh, and they're trying to be demure about it. And she's like, you know, what? What do you mean? When Worf and I make love? Make love? <laughs> right. Interspecies romance isn't without its danger. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do want to say that part of me understands Worf's position in this conversation. I was like... He's my boss. <laughs> and nominally, like, he's my boss, and you're talking about fucking me. Right. <laughs> and, our kink, and our kink life. Yeah, yeah. With my boss. Right. Like, and part of me is like, I get, I totally get him on this. Well, I also <laughs> get Dax on it, because Dax is... Right. Has known Cisco since he was... 
since he was a young pup. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like Yeah, she's been swapping sex stories with Cisco for the twenty five years. Right. Now. Yeah. Oh, I was about to go real gross with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know you know they've been on Ryza like high fiving over an orgy? I do love that this <laughs> again, this introduces the theme that I, I love that's um, all throughout the show is that Worf knows that it's not true, but somehow suspects that maybe Cisco and Dax have fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, <laughs> like he's always on the guard for that. I like. I love that about right, him. Right. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh, me and Dax had a great time one rabbit. It was Curzon. <laughs> Chill out. I didn't fuck her, man. And Curzon. But and then we get the first mention of, or is this the first mention? Of Captain Baudet, the Galamite with the transparent skull. No, no, the, he's like a running gag that they should have before. While yeah, they yeah. were dating, uh, they they had a Kira scene where she and them talked about it. Uh, right, we right, ever right. find out that that character is like two hundred years old in Deep Space Nine? That will be a candidate for the new Discovery captain. I bet. Yes. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Because they'd love that on posters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Mister Goodbody Head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryza makes the Hoobastank bass look like a monastery or Hoobazian. <laughs> well, then, uh, but then everybody, uh, it turns out they're going to go to Ryza, and there's for a reason, because Worf has to have some sort of, con- like, has to have a conversation with, with Jed Zia, which is... Uh, we have much to discuss, he said. Right. Saying, yeah. mm-hmm. and, he, and he wanted to take her to Minsk. Yeah, he wanted to go to Earth, and he's like, nah, I convinced him. And then... Julian and Lita want to come along, and Worf is like, fine. She hugs him, and he's like, Julian, do not hug me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was great, because he you don't see anybody just walk up to Worf, and yeah, <laughs> everybody yeah. can sense their boundaries with Worf, except for Lita. She's, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like a, she's probably not been told not to hug people, but like, <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I mean, she's, she's a good-looking girl, and, and on a huggy planet to begin with, uh-huh. so... She's probably not been told not to. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody loves taking the piss out of Worf, you know, so they're not going to tell her not to. They like making him uncomfortable. And then Quark has <laughs> somehow argued to get his way to come on, I guess, because he's given Lita a, a vacation. And so he's like, well, if you want a vacation, you'll take me. <laughs> yes, he's used, uh, he, he's used his preferred status and privilege to <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, extract from extract from her labor uh, a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. And then Worf is like, stay in your cabin. He's like, cabin is just like a cot in a piss bucket or waste extraction. And then Worf is like, I will turn this thing around. And he's like, oh, okay. And Quark has like, here's your uh, whore idol for everybody. Your whore gone. Which I don't. I, uh, do we, I don't really get the the, the stat. Okay, that's a that was a that's a callback from the next generation. Whenever okay, yeah, I don't remember yeah. it, then yeah, that is from um, the episode where Captain Picard goes down to Ryza for his uh, Doctor Crusher. Yeah, <sighs> Doctor Crusher says that I've got a a member of the of the crew who's overworked and overstressed and blah 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 blah. Card says, well, what's your recommendation? And she's the person needs to go vacation. I, I don't think he will. And then Picard says, well, it, you've got my permission to force him to go on vacation. It's Picard to go on vacation. To force him to. And on his way down, Riker says, what you need to do when you're down there, you need to get one of these things for me. Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. that's what I want. And so he go he beams down, and the first thing he does is he gets one of these things for like he thinks he's getting a souvenir for a coworker. <laughs> Instead, it's Riker tricked him into buying the sex doll. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yes. Well, it's just one of 
I like that episode. It's, it's, it's the sign that says, I want to fuck. Right. Okay, so. Jamal Haran. This is what I thought it was. But And then that's the Vash, the, the Vash episode, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. who we met back in that Q episode. I remember the episode, yeah. yeah. I just don't remember that the little thing. Um, so it is very similar to a Build Lily, which I just found out about recently by watching the Toys That Made Us documentaries, uh, the one on Barbie, is that in Germany after the war, they would hand out these sec- these dolls that looked exactly like the original Barbie doll called Bill Lilies. And a man would take it on a date and he would give it to the woman at the beginning of the date. And if she accepted it, she knew he was going to fuck her by the end of the night. So it was like a prostitution signal. It was like writing 420 on your Craigslist ad or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's what I want to get to the bottom of. Risa. Yeah. What is it? It's a fuck planet. Yeah. Are there, are are we talking about, I, I, here's, you know how we have Treconomics? Yeah. We have a book that is written all about po- the post-scarcity economy of Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. And all that entails. Mm-hmm. What we need is we need somebody to write a book about Star Trek, like sexual politics of Star Trek. 120 Days of Riza. <laughs> right. Well, that straight out of this post-scarcity environment, because they, what is the Risians' catchphrase that they keep saying is, all that is ours is yours. Yeah. I don't think that's got anything to do with scarcity, though. I don't well, think that. Yeah, they're, they're willing to share everything. I don't think that's got so, to do with supply and demand. They're willing to share everything. But my, okay, so is it is it a a planet it's never made clear but it's assumed that it's a planet of sex workers right i think the culture that the risings just the thing that gives them the most joy is giving joy to other people so like even, but doesn't this doesn't this episode say that there's no actual risings it's a pre, it's a pre man it's like Las Vegas. It's a fake city. There's Risians, but the they do have yeah, they do set up that it still it's, has an indigenous people of Risians. I thought it was an unstable swamp world. It rains all the time. Right. But they've had who knows how long they've made it Vegas. So they have Vegas eyes. Okay. Where the, yeah, it's all You're right, because it exists in Enterprise. Oh yeah. So it was pre-Federation. Okay, so they're like just, they're the people that were just like, oh, what? No, we have everything we need, so we just give it away, and they're sexually free, and they just like making people happy, however that means. Okay, so are they getting paid for, are these like, because, okay, they they don't see themselves as sex workers. They see themselves as social workers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and remember, they don't get paid, but like the whole consequences of this episode made me think and it's because i'm reading the dispossessed right now so it's on my brain (laughs) is are they an actual anarchy an anarchist society i don't because Worf just fucks up everything and nobody comes and tells him not to right well that's what they say with this uh fullerton character that we haven't met yet but even they're like oh he's just a kooky old man if if his kink is not getting off and just being a stick in the mud well if that makes him happy we'll let him do that right so it's an anarchist society to begin with i think so I think that that's like the gist of it that I was getting. It's an anarchist, anarchist Vegas, <laughs> sort of. But okay, in an I mean, I guess the question that we're asking is: Is they, does everyone always have to consent? Uh, is there non-consent on Risa? That's yes, yeah. that's a very good. question. I don't. I mean, I don't know how to poke around the question. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, does does anybody like not want to fuck Cork, for instance? I mean, that's. It's, I feel like a dick, but yeah, mm-hmm. he's Frankie or 
a little bit uh, repulsive. He's to, nasty. Yeah, to other people sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. Uh, well, I mean, we learned that some women do fall in love with Ferengis in this episode that aren't Ferengis. Yeah, that's but, true. But yeah. yes, um, I mean, he's been in love with the Cardassian in that Casablanca episode. You'd like to forget. <laughs> yeah, he's had a couple of loves. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, people who've loved him. Sure, sure. Three. Three, like he just a Klingon just fucked. I mean, he does oh, yeah. good outside Full, the species. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe we're being hard on him. I don't know. <laughs> well, we have said that Quark is the George Clooney of Ferengi. Yeah, <laughs> right. But but I mean, I guess I'm just saying that like a bad actor could ruin everybody's time, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know if you're just supposed to believe that they're so enlightened that consent isn't an issue. Like like I said, I'm reading Dispossessed, and it's about an anarchist society, and they address rape and how rape is handled. Uh-huh. It seems like, but it's not as concupiscent of a, of a planet right. as, as Risa. Yeah, so yeah. it seems like it would come up more on Risa. Yeah. I mean, there's probably, there's a whole CD underbelly, like, I don't know. Is there like a place where they just put all the ugly Risians? Or is there like a police force that just handles these sort of rape claims? But if they do, I mean, wouldn't they also have stopped war from fucking up all of their business? Yeah. Like in this episode. Well, they, the guy mentioned that they wouldn't press charges. I, I I don't know what the political structure of Risa is. Yeah. I would have to lean that we are probably looking at like a, a libertarian anarchist type society yeah with you know where money doesn't exchange hands because it is post scarcity i guess yeah so i don't know but what is clear though they are a federation yes because we don't know exactly what and this is the weakness of the episode because we don't know exactly what rise it is then we don't know exactly what the problem of the essential like what what's their malfunction the essentialist is malfunction. You know, they always speak in these kind of vague problems. Well, that, yeah, that's and, true. That, like, if they could have, like, a sharpened argument against what exactly they have against Ryza, then... The whole thing is built on a facile argument because they can't talk about sex and they can't talk about religion. Right. And that's what I think they were parodying. Yeah. Oh, yes. So it becomes off about, like, soldiers are too busy thinking about fucking and not thinking about fighting the Dominion. That was right. what it, his problem was. Right, right? everything. Well, the Bolian, was hold, the Bolian was holding his pad up to his chest like he was holding a Bible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they were, they were obviously parodying religious yeah uh, totally speakers yes conservatives yeah 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 before that we meet arandis who fucked curzon dax to death (laughs) yes okay yeah yes vanessa williams (laughs) yes the glorious vanessa williams yeah she's great i mean she's she's fine and she's she's doing exactly what she needs to do in this and she's doing it well enough yeah and i a part of me once looking over her career it's kind of like this was slumming it for her, kind of. I mean, she had like top. Was it? She had top hits like in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. okay. So she was most known in America. I don't know if everybody knows this or not. But in 1983, she was voted Miss America. And before she was, she was the first African-American, maybe, I think. Yes, she was the first African-American to ever win Miss America. But before she did, she had done a let's say sapphic photo spread that was ultimately published in penthouse, which was a big thing in 1983. And so they stripped her of the Miss America title. 
it's not a big deal now because our first lady has done very very similar thing, <laughs> the exact same thing, yeah. and nobody cares. But uh, back then it was a big deal, and, and she was, you know, she was African American, so you know she had to pay harder. But I mean, still by the end of the nineties, I mean, she had still had like, oh yeah, she was a singer. Like I knew she was a household name in the nineties. Yeah, what was that big hit she had? I don't remember. But it's kind of like you got you got to like a like this was a big get for them, or maybe she, I don't know, maybe she owed. Someone a debt like maybe she owed Rick Berman money <laughs> like or something, uh, but yeah, but and I mean she's big now. She's in with Ugly Betty and other shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I get the feeling she's probably in a lot of movies that I don't see, like maybe the kind directed by Tyler Perry and uh, stuff like that. But <laughs> save the best for last. That's the song I was thinking of. Oh yes, yes, yes. And that was when was that a hit? That was a hit when that was like uh-huh. like a few years. I mean before this. Before this, yeah. So I yeah, mean, it was like ninety one, yeah. So yeah. this was kind of like, not exactly like, but kind of like heaven Mariah Carey on this show. Well, I think by ninety six, her she wasn't quite at the height of her career. No, 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 no. Obviously, she wouldn't have been on here. If she was <laughs> I mean, but I mean, yeah, but but yeah, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah, she was definitely a recognizable guest star on this. It wasn't just like, who's this lady? She's Familiar is like, no, oh shit, it's Vanessa Williams. She sung the Pocahontas theme song. Oh, yeah. Colors of the Wind. Basically, we traded Colin Meany for Vanessa Williams this week. And, and, <laughs> yeah, right. and yes, yeah, it was. And this was he. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure um, uh, Nana Visitor was probably on maternity leave still. Yeah, that's actually, uh, I want to get to like, uh, oh, oh uh, we're good back grief. to, we're back. And Sid Diggs gets to writhe around with a bunch of <laughs> ladies. Yeah, we, we, we get shitty Sadig again. Oh, yes. And his he says that he was so distracted because, I mean, that was his baby too. Right. Like, literally, I think she was born like a day before this went to shoot. And he was just, he didn't get to, I mean, and I feel bad for him. I'm not, I'm not mocking him. Oh, yeah. I'm not mocking him. But like, he didn't get to be with his baby. And so it was my, I, I get the feeling he was irritated and uncomfortable and just didn't want to be there. Yeah. It looked, looked, looked and like horrible. It showed. And it showed. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't notice him being like acting and he, he just felt like it was goofy Bashir, like all, all the way down, you know? Yeah. It was his, it was his, he gets to wear some great outfits in this. I think, I think that's what stands out about this episode more than anything else is just the costume design. I will say about Bashir's body. I'm going to, we subject, we, we objectify a lot of women on this podcast and we're going to objectify a man here. Uh Um, Sadiq's body in this shows that we are currently living in a, in an age of beefcake eye candy uh-huh. because there's no way that an actor of uh, Alexander Siddig's age and like hunger for Hollywood fame wouldn't have 25 more pounds of lean muscle than oh, he's got. Totally. And totally. This, yeah. I mean, he is, he's, he's quite a thin man. And <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah. You don't see those. You don't see those on television anymore. No. <laughs> right. Right. Wearing a pretty thin skin yeah. tight little, uh, bodysuit there with this. Yeah. Like when you watch even a show, like I watch it, uh, rewatch a community cause my son loves it so much. And every man on that show has like those like peck dimples in his shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Don, like everybody is fucking ripped on that show. <laughs> and you just like, they, they, they wouldn't be ripped. Uh, back in this time period. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a shame, too, because he, well, I mean, he does uh, filling out that aerobics outfit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you could see if they put him on the, whatever, HGH. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever they pumped Chris Chris Evans, and all the Chris's. Right, Whatever right. they pumped the Chris's with. <laughs> right. He would have looked sexy. He would have filled out that, that yeah, costume yeah, yeah. much better. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like that he's so skinny and not your typical. Yeah, it's a it's a to a bygone era. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. put it that way. I'm sure that girls are happy. Right. Uh, the uh, men are better looking. Yeah, yes. I mean, a lot of people had crushes on uh, old uh, Alexander Sadiq. Yeah, they would have had crushes on him too if he had like good traps too. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Defined delts. Yeah. Uh, Arandis. She's the chief facilitator for the entire Tim Tibby Lagoon. Whatever that means. Whatever. I think it means like she runs a she runs a casino. Yeah, or facilitator whatever. sounds a lot like uh, procurer. I'm the, <laughs> yeah, I'm the manager of all of Sandals, Jamaica. <laughs> right. I am the lead fishmonger. If to get Shakespearean. <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That is a shit. Yes. That's a classy prostitution joke I just made. I did. Uh, <laughs> um, where are we at? Uh, are we talking about Worf yet? Oh, yeah. Worf is the jealous type. Oh, yeah. He's uptight. He won't take off his uniform. <laughs> he won't, yeah. He's just generally just like pissy to be there. I mean, he didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's not going to participate. <laughs> and it really does bring you to the point of like, why is she with this asshole? It's real. There, especially early on, it's like, what the wharf sucks? Why are you with him? <laughs> yeah, and it's beautifully. I mean, it's beautifully going somewhere. We got to deal with these like uh, religious fuckers. Uh, Pascal Fullerton and the New Essentialist Movement. <laughs> the because, fucking dumbest name. <laughs> yeah, all these. It's all this self indulgence and all this. Uh, people aren't disciplined enough and it's eroding the foundations of the Federation society and the Dominion or the Borg or even the Romulans because we're, we're weak and skinny and none of us have barrel chests like the Chris's do. <laughs> we don't look like the Chris's. They're just going to walk all over us. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so funny because these guys are holding a rally and <laughs> Worf was like, yeah, I think I'll go to a protest on my vacation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yes. And how quickly he like adapts to it. But it, I, I mean, I guess you're supposed to forgive it because it's clearly just acting out right. in his relationship with Terry. Well, it is, but it also there, it's a little bit in his wheelhouse as a character, too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a stick in the mouth. And, and I think it really, okay, so the essentialist stuff could have worked a lot better, like I said earlier, if they kind of refined their arguments against what was going on right uh, mm. but like they were kind of vague like every time they got up there so they really were selling it more with their attitude than what they were actually saying right and i think this is one of the things that people don't like about this episode that the essentialists are sort of like silly yeah they're not really that good bad guys they're basically um what's his name from flash dance <laughs> footloose and it's john lithgow dumbass how would you account well, the sorry state of our society. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, dancing. But it's like, all I see is a bunch of spoiled children. You're weak. Also, Some, someday a rain is going to come and wash away all the filth, basically. Sweep this pestilence from the face of the earth with one mighty gesture. Of They're also kind of like the, what's the stuffy old bitch that the Three Stooges would always throw shrimps into her cleavage? Oh, yeah, Like yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of character. Yeah, like yeah. that, you know, like that kind of like... They come off, they're automatically dislikable. They suck their way into having a like a complicated entanglement with the main characters, and then they're easily sort of shooed away. So it's ineffective because it's tropey yeah, to the point of cliche. It is tropey. I mean, I don't disagree with that. It is kind of weak. But then at the same time, I mean, I could see 
parallels to certain uh, conservatism in the states today, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and I if that's fine if that's what they were going for and it would have been better if instead of just like actually aping how they talk and the way that they just interrupt everybody's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they actually had some real ideas behind what like they never brought the audience, they never got close to bringing the audience to their side or their argument. Oh no. But if they did, that would have complicated matters because then we would have had a character that we were on their side you know we would have been we might have had to consider Worf's side of things mm-hmm. we never had to consider Worf's side of things and therefore the whole time he's just feels like just a like a unfun asshole yeah he does and they were clearly funneling that his attachment to it is really just a reaction to dex right so the problem with that is the problem yeah yeah he's he's basically lashing out like a child mm-hmm. uh <laughs> he, when he walks in on <laughs> Dex jacking off a clay dick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was, <laughs> that, was like, that wasn't was even like, oh close God. to settle. No. Doesn't the clay feel good? Wonderful. Well, it was also like it was like they made it up. That was not an idea that marinated for more than two hours. No. <laughs> like that was clearly like they got to set and they were like they're supposed to be doing some sort of sex kung fu or something like not sex, but they were supposed to be doing something intimate. She's just relaxing or giving her a massage or something, but like, uh, why don't you jack off this wet clay penis? She was just needing my mammary glands. It's very important (laughs) to us on trail to need our mammary glands. No, but anyway, so whatever it was clearly like a second idea. Because the first idea got rejected. Oh, and yeah. so they were like, well, let's just get a pile of clay and then just, <laughs> just make her hump the clay. Make, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, it's, oh my God, it just, it was so funny to me. Mm. Just, and Vanessa Williams is like, yeah, can't, just really get your hands in there. Feel the veins. <laughs> Begin to mold it. Feel the texture in your hands. I do. I feel it. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> like I totally got when uh, earlier we saw Lita and some man toy. Oh yeah, and he's rubbing like a he's looking like a Brookstone electric back massager over her body. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. I mean, by the way, that was clearly bought from Brookstones. I my dad had that back that back massager. <laughs> but did your dad just hold it to no, it no. above the body and the <laughs> sonic orgone waves coming off of it? <laughs> She's yes. explaining about like, oh, you need a. It's not anybody can be a Daba girl. You need to be able to count. You need a supple wrist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, you know, and she's got like her robe on with conveniently draped. And it's like, did they use boob tape on that robe? Uh, I don't know. But God bless whoever, whoever said that. Thing <laughs> yeah. Ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, let's go get a ray of milk soap. I mean, she is just completely watchable. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hate to get gross about it, but she really is. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. On the wall. Yeah. I feel like I objectified being enough that we could get that. <laughs> well, I think everybody agrees that Lita and Chase Masterson's pretty hot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Worf is like, who dis? And, um, and Worf is like, what the fuck? And then they go to Julian. He's with this brunette. And he's like, what? Kayla's fought off an entire army of at three turn I know. And at the point where he said that, I'm like, oh, always with the fucking Kalis. Jesus, give it a rest for once. This is not the <laughs> yeah, time, right. Worf. Okay. But I think, nonetheless, I think all of this, be- I'm going to make a whole thing about this. All of this, like, will cling, like, the Worf talking about Klingon shit pays off so beautifully, I think, in this episode. I mean, yeah, I see what they're they're doing with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Julian and Lita, it turns out, 
and Worf is like, what the fuck? They're dishonoring each other by fucking around and doing, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. We didn't tell you why we're here. We're here to do the Bajoran Rite of Separation because uh, it's a very wise and ancient culture, Worf, where they, when they break up with somebody, they have a party, basically. <laughs> too bad Kira never gets to do that because all her boyfriends die. No, yeah. they, do, they do Bikram <laughs> yoga. They do Bikram yoga. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. And that's where we find out that basically she's, uh, what's clearly been telegraphed is she's going to fuck Rom. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Our paths have grown apart. What? And then they have the whole thing. and then Because yeah. that was clearly set up in Bar Association. Oh, yeah. And yeah. paid off even... Two weeks ago, when he Ron was like, "Yeah, Lita's been teaching me all about her culture." Oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So they actually laid subtle tracks to this plot reveal. Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> these small these small things that actually feel like they've been carefully crafted, which is just adds to their the like the feel of the quality mm-hmm. of the show, like improving. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rom's not even in this episode, but he's like a plot point, you know, and they bring it out like, well, Cork is like the witness for their breakup, and he's like, this sucks, man. You're not fighting or anything. It's yeah. lame. And Julian's <laughs> like, no, I I feel very nice about this. And she's like, oh, it's nice to be finally be honest. I want to fuck your brother, Cork. And there's like a record scratch, and Cork <laughs> and Bashir are just like, what? <laughs> I, I wrote down, it's like a Schmidt's gay take. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is pretty fun. That's when I realized that Nog is probably gonna start watching those uh, stepmom videos on on the on the internet. Oh, because of <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, oh, what? Oh, uh, oh yes. Nog, your dad's gonna be home soon. <laughs> right. Let, you spilt that on your pants. Let me let me take those off and clean those for you. <laughs> like those. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're re- referring to, James. Uh, you work so hard at the Starfleet <laughs> Academy. At the Starfleet. Uh, okay. uh, what you're saying is that Ted Cruz is going to like it. Something. Ted Cruz is going to totally like this video. <laughs> Frankies kind of look like Ted. They kind of oh, yeah. they, 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 they encapsulate the spirit of how Ted Cruz looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's um, that's being mean to Quark. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Ted Cruz is looking at Simpsons parody porn anyway. So <laughs> that's true. <Yeah. laughs> We're Lisa Simpson's the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so where, where are we at? There, are we, uh, um, that happened. The jacking off the clay dick happens. Worf throws a fit, breaks his horgon. Yeah, that starts the sort of big thing where he then he goes and teaches them how to fuck up the weather grid and make it. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. And fucks everybody's vacation up. Right, yeah. <laughs> Our lovable Worf. <laughs> yeah, and Julian and Quark are like, why are you with him? Oh, I don't know, because he's got the courage of a berserker cat and the heart of a poet. And I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> but Yeah, it's well, a I, little I, bit, yeah. but I mean. Yeah, it's, t- it's over. Somebody then. did have to. That's another, I mean, the show's not teetering on greatness. Yeah, but yeah. I still think it's a good show because somebody does have to ask. The question: Why at this point in the episode? Yeah, why are you with him? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do agree that that has to be asked. Yeah. Just because the writing sucks on the answer. Yeah. Right. Right. I was gonna say, let's just quick do this when we we're talking about the writing of that scene. Um, Ronald D. E. Moore is the best writer in the writers' room. Renee Shavari is the second best. Robert Hewitt Wolf is the third. Iris uh, Hans Bimler is the fifth, and Iris Stephen Barry is the sixth best writer. <laughs> best writer in this writers' room, and he wrote this episode. So, uh-huh. all right. <laughs> okay. I feel like he's pretty much this is like as good as Iris Stephen Barry probably gets on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wrote it with Robert Hewitt Wolf, but it's mostly. Oh, well, 
interesting. Well, I can tell you the like, Robert Hewitt Wolf scene. Oh, yes. well, yeah. <laughs> the, Julian even says, like, we go back to creepy old Julian, but he's like, oh, well, well, if I walked in on you and Vanessa Williams jacking off a clay dick, I, I probably would have been upset, too. But, but you know what? You're too much work, Dax. That's why I stopped following that. Yeah, yeah he gets to say something gross like oh Bashir hasn't said something uh, that gross for a long while <laughs> right I do though like I I, I, I love Dax I, I think she's in her golden age we're, we're getting golden age Dax here we are but I do see how being around someone if you're if you're not the most secure man I can see how that's emasculated oh sure that she's so old and so smart and so like adventurous yeah 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 I mean it really is it's like being He's got all of the drawbacks of being with an older woman and all the drawbacks of being with a younger woman, you know. Right. Where she's super vivacious and super risk-taking, but also smarter and, like, more intuitive than him. I see how you have to, like, sort he's of... out of his depth. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely out. Yes, yeah. And yeah. she calls him out on that, even. You have to be a very secure man to be with Dax. And I think that... And then he's just, he, he's finding and, that out. <laughs> like, yeah. And Worf is secure in a lot of things, but not romantically ever has been. Cause he's, yeah. he's been so, you know, she even calls him out like, man. And he's like, cause if you were a Klingon woman, it's like, hey, I've That's been, what, I've been with more Klingon women than you have motherfucker. Yeah. That is the point where this is where I think all of this is super interesting to me is because we've known war four, seven, eight, nine, nine seasons now. Yeah. And a few movies. What is the cliche? What is the Worf cliche other than Worf? No, it's that his little Klingon facts, like Klingons do not. Yeah, like yeah. he 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 lives his life as an explanatory, like how to be a Klingon by Worf, and it's this explanatory book of rules and situations. And we realize that that's bullshit. After nine seasons, this is all bullshit. And it's so interesting that it's Dax, who's clearly much more Klingon in heart than Worf is. Yeah. And how that... No, it's not bullshit because that's exactly what it is. It's an intellectual approach to a culture. Like, he's a culture... Yes. He's a cultural tourist in his own culture. Yes. And he he has a tourist, like, type of knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's like how... My brother, growing up, most of his Jewish knowledge, or mine even, was from reading Philip Roth books. <laughs> but, oh, shit. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah, that there's these sort of people that don't... Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting in that what he's experiencing and what he's going through is fuck all to do with Klingons. And that's a lie he's been telling himself, that he's this way, he's a dick, he's an asshole, he's cut off, he can't make friends. And all of that has to do with his Klingonness. Right. But, well, that's, but that's bullshit. He's just got, he's got, I mean, he's a man without a home. And that's a mindset all of its own. And that comes with its yeah. own sort of, and we unpack that in the scene. But this glorious, I don't know, like, that's what I like about that Worf most of all, of all of the Star Trek characters, is that more than anybody, he gets to actually change. Sure. He gets to actually be, like, who he is at the end of Deep Space Nine is a totally different character than who he was on all of TNG. Yeah, because he was just the kind of stern, and it's almost like, the world building that they've been doing, they've been doing world building the Klingons through Worf. And he's been like this very serious and stern. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. this is what Klingons are. And that's kind of, they wrote him that way as 
that's what they thought Klingons were. Yes. And then they introduced Ronald D. Moore creates more of this Klingon backstory. And wait a minute, Klingons are a lot of fun. And so they the, ca- they the Galron of, character becomes fun as fuck. And then like you got the Martok. Yeah, yeah. And when Riker goes and does his exchange uh, <laughs> yes. summer abroad program with them. And then they like blood oath on this and they bring back these older guys and they, they make them more fun loving, especially Core, who's boring as shit. Yeah. I'm like, if I remember correctly in the original, he's not fun loving on that TOS episode. Yeah. So they've built like these two different worlds of the Klingons. And and so it's a question that fans have been asking for a while, too. It's like, Worf is, why is he so different from the other Klingons? And this episode kind of seeks to provide an answer for that, which kind of comes... And not just an answer, but a vessel through which to change and that one would change. Oh, yeah, for the relationship. Yeah, yeah. so that, you know, his relationship with Jadzia actually changes him. As a character, just as the people that, you know, our relationships and coupling have actually changed us in our lives. And, then, uh, you know, that's something that Picard can't say. Right. That's something that, like, even Cisco right now can't say. That they haven't done the work to sort of bend these characters to have. And it works because we've had so much time with them. And also because the character was so kind of flat and one-dimensional that when you have this breakthrough... Of, of personality and character yeah, yeah. that it becomes richer almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I love war so much. And I think that it all sort of happens in the scene. So I kind of love it. So, see, yeah, this, okay. So we want to talk about the scene now, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We want to unpack it. Cause, yeah. Okay. Cause you, it sounds like you love the, the scene. I do. I, I thought the story that he tells, I felt like it is kind of, fucking ridiculous and really i, I mean but, i don't yeah i don't he, yeah it felt like it felt like the monologue in gremlins where she explains what how why <laughs> which is like why she hates my christmas. father died <laughs> why she hates christmas that's what this scene was i i think i'm actually stealing that idea from my brother lane who's brought it up uh, to me before about but this, yeah it's like you, lane talked about this specific specific this very specific scene in this thing because yeah it's like just out of nowhere oh yeah because i I killed a kid playing soccer. But I don't um, think it's... I think that people actually have these moments, though. So, so you, you can't discount that. I do, too. I think they do. So, yeah. So I'm a dick, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm actually interested to hear your take on it. Well, I mean, he's got same. a... Phys- I think he's it, being... I mean, it's hard. There's no Earth experience to where someone's raised where they have their Superman amongst normies. Right, right. So he's got, like, what, three times the physical strength, even at age whatever, and... It is going to be hard to contain that in a kid. So I, I do. Well, and he was a wild. I mean, kids yeah. are kids are wild to begin with. Like, yes. you know, I have a I have a three year old, almost a three year old boy. And he's just, yeah, it's just so much different. And I can only imagine if he was a Klingon, mm-hmm. how much different <laughs> it would be. Yeah. And I do sort of see that. Yeah. I mean, I saw it as a tad maudlin. It's tad out of nowhere. <laughs> You're thinking of Gremlins. I think of it more as, I don't know, I've watched Flatliners a ton. I think it's like the scene in Flatliners when you find out that like the whole thing is because, what's his name, killed a kid when he was a young boy. The Keith or Sutherland character. Oh, yeah. But I, so I think I, I it was reminiscent yeah. of that. It's about me. as subtle as a Joel Schumacher movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was intense. Yeah, maybe a little too dark for like <laughs> the Rise a, a episode. Sex or the Rise I mean, episode, but yeah. He, I mean, it's. I'm just imagining like a soccer. He's playing soccer and he's got soccer moms and he kills a kid. Up. It's just a little much. I mean, I, I and it makes sense and it's. But it's just like <sighs> I felt like oh. 
we're writing a scene to explain in this engram <laughs> that he's got. And once he works through this engram, he's going to be different. And now he's fine to, to jump into Scientology. I don't think that he's fine. I don't think, I just think that he's reached a level of intimacy and trust by having somebody he can tell. Mm-hmm. It's, this isn't going to fundamentally change who Worf is as a character. Yeah, he's still going to drink prone juice and not want Chase Masterson to touch him. Yeah, but it attaches to him this story. Through these nine years that we've known him, he's been carrying around this memory of a soccer match when he well, was I think I think it's just a starting <laughs> point. That feels weird to me. Yeah, I don't think that's weird to me. I think it's... Yeah, it's, it's just, just a starting point, right, which he needs to, like, modulate his own Klingon-ness. Yeah. And it, Have you ever put yeah. a kid in the hospital? What? I haven't. No. I accidentally hit a... When I was five, I accidentally hit my best friend's sister in the face with a golf club. Jesus. She had to go to the hospital, and she had to have some facial reconstructive surgery. Wow. I've never told you that. No. It's, it's affected me. It's, it's with me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a thing that people have. I mean, I didn't kill a kid, but... Oh, and she's fine, <laughs> and I, like... <laughs> and she's fine. I, underst- I understand the... of how it works, and I, you know, and I... to an extent, I can't say it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But through another lens, I'm just like, it's a gremlins monologue. But I think it... the issue that they were having was trust. Yeah. And she needed to peel... Yeah, like, yeah. that was a... A moment in their relationship that he needed to give something up like that yeah and not only that it explains his character it explains that he's got to in order to never kill a kid again and whatever in order to never lose control of the situation like this he's got to be so controlled over every element of his life yeah and since she's now in his life that means she's he's got to control her too and that that was the issue no and i i get it i get it too and it makes sense but part of the cheapness for me is that it it makes one event be the thing like not that his life is he's come to this through a series of events Mm -hmm. uh, and this is why Worf is Worf but Worf can be explained. All of Worf is explained because he killed a kid on the soccer field. I think, but there's when also <laughs> not that that's being that's reducing it to to too simply. Yeah, that's that's what that's what my fear is that sometimes it it feels. No, like I mean because the story itself, the reason why he's on that soccer field is because he was raised by a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parents on a human colony. I mean, there's stuff that happened before that that made him who he is, and there's stuff that happened after him that made him who he is. I think this just illustrates one moment in time where he needed to open the kimono to a woman to, for the relationship mm-hmm. to survive and go forward. Yeah, yeah. If she said, why are you such a, a closed-up asshole, Worf, and he just clammed up and didn't say anything, she might have just gotten frustrated and be like, fuck it, this, this relationship... Oh, that was like, clearly yeah. a... That, that clearly was a breakup. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's, oh, I, yeah. oh, and I totally get that the script and the story necessitated him to have a come-clean moment, but... It, like it felt a little like in a goofy episode, it felt like a maudlin kind of. Goofy I actually thought episode. that that was the one thing that I thought it was like the redeeming thing for this episode. Like that, this speech is what makes the episode good. I thought, yeah, because it, it paid off all the goofy shit that we saw, or like the the goofiness juxtaposed against the maudlin dark I, shit. Yeah, makes it a compelling episode. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I like the goofiness too. It's like, I didn't hate this episode as much as I thought, but it's yeah. No, I, I, I like people. 
this is not an episode that is well loved, I don't think. But maybe, maybe. No, it is. I don't think. I don't think so. But I think that it does. What it does with the Wharf character is why I love Deep Space Nine. But yeah. I mean, basically, from this point on, I I think he just becomes a, an interesting character, and I like the, all the decisions they go with in the character for the rest of the season, if I remember correctly. And I think that it also, in some ways, kills the TNG Wharf. And like I said, he's not over it. He didn't clear the engram. But it's like therapy. Most ther- I mean, most therapy involves going through single events. Yeah, yeah. They're working yeah, through yeah. single events or single relationships. And most of that has to do with his most of his psychological issues come from being uh, essentially being raised yeah. Uh, growing up in an, a second at a secondary culture and all of yeah, those yeah. kinds of things. His outsiderness, yeah. Yeah, that outsiderness yeah. and that why he can't have a good time right it's gonna be i i let's take it into too dark a part like of that personal but like real world concerns is i'm sure that africans or african-american children that are adopted into you know live in idaho uh want to get along with the kids in idaho Mm -hmm. but i bet they have an event that teaches them that they're different yeah well i mean they that's like half the this is us premise isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And when they're thirty, and when they're thirty-five, that event that taught them that they were different stays with them. Yeah. And no matter no matter how welcomed into the white communities of Idaho he stays, yeah. There's a no. No. Oh, I get it. I get it too. I mean, it, like I said, it all makes sense. But it also I can definitely. Mm-hmm. I definitely. Yeah. When you well, mentioned it, you mentioned it is. It's a little bit Phoebe Cates. Like my. This is why I hate Christmas. That's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Yeah. Yes, the mention, mentioning the why I hate Christmas, I could see if 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 you're looking at it from that angle, but but let's just let's different. Yeah, the idea that a, that a human grown adult man looked down a chimney of a house and thought that his body would fit through that <laughs> is so ridiculous. <laughs> that that and that they don't that, that oh, it has a flu. Oh, and that, <laughs> oh, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not here to shit talk gremlins. I love gremlins. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm saying that that scene of gremlins is ridiculous because of the logic, the internal logic of that scene. No, there's not just the darkness of the story, but the internal logic of what sure, sure. what she was talking about was ridiculous. Oh, you know <laughs> that nope. shit's happening. Do we need to do a gremlins escape pod on, around Christmas time? Oh, oh, maybe we should. <laughs> Gremlins 2? Gremlins 2? The new batch. I, <laughs> How yeah. about we have a really smart one with glasses? <laughs> you mean one with a spider can... body? Yes, that's in the movie. <laughs> I bet we just do an escape pod about that Ken Bill sketch. Ken Bill sketch is so funny. <laughs> yes, that is in the movie. <laughs> All right. Well, where are we on this? We need a... um. We need yeah. to start wrapping it up. Yeah, the weather... He gave the dad from Flashdance the weather control satellite codes and they, he's not going to turn it off, so he makes a bunch of earthquakes happen and then Worf throws him across the room and says, I'm on vacation. And then they have a good laugh and then they go on a walk down the beach and Dax and Worf go skinny dipping because he's finally loosened up <laughs> He's a let them bit. two dicks fly, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Bashir, who was probably like, let me go fucking see my newborn son or whatever, yeah, get me out has run off. <laughs> yeah, get me out. But he's taken a Horgon to breakfast or something. And they watch the two sunset. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the flaws of this episode is that they spend so much time talking around sex but not talk about sex. Yeah. And 
talking around religion without talking about religion. Jamma Haran. Yeah. I like the, yes, yes, they have a little slang term for fucking. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I like the little monologue. I never thought about this, but I like that when Quark said there's no word for crisp on Ferenganar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, liked, I, liked, I liked his uh, fun facts about moist climates. Right. It's <laughs> Fern- We've got like 27 words for rain. It's really glenoning out that's there. That's not good. Yeah. So uh, what do you guys put this on your rewatch meter? Pretty low? Yeah. I mean, it very. if I'm in like, I want a goofy episode, I might watch it. Like, again, like, I know... I, I hate that I thought the wharf thing was kind of so ridiculous. I can but I see how you could think that. I might watch it just for that. I might watch it for just like, let's watch this dumb wharf scene. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you put it, James? I, I, I put it pretty, I mean, I don't know. I put it mid, low because I don't like the quirkiness. I don't like the Buckminster Fuller guy. Who's not Buckminster? Fuck that. Buckminster Fuller is awesome. The Whatever his name is. I don't like the whole religious yeah. storyline. I think it's dumb. And Worf spends most of the episode being like totally fucking dumb. So I don't know. I like three. Yeah, I would probably three. Uh, yeah. I would if it, if I'm getting my oil changed and they have this on the TV <laughs> uh, in the waiting room, I'm I'm probably gonna like enjoy it. But yeah, that's probably about yeah. a three or two or a three for me too. Well, you guys want to guess on what the good people of IMDb think of this episode? Wade, why don't we let Wade go first? I, well, okay, I'm going to go low because I think people, this is one of those infamous episodes. I'm going to say 5.8. That's way low. It's got to be lower than it is. 6.8. <laughs> we got 774 votes, and it is a 5.4. People hate this episode. Whoa! Yeah, look at you. No. I almost said 5.5 and I thought I was like, no, let's go. Uh, yeah, people hate this episode. We are the only two people that like this episode. <laughs> if you read the user, see, that's the thing. I think this is actually a good episode. Mm-hmm. I think that I could see how it's not enjoyable for people because you don't like seeing a, a fan favorite character be an asshole, inexplicable asshole for uh, most of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the costume is so dated, like 90s, like sure. aerobic athletic wear that they're all wearing. And Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That, that almost adds to the fun, though. Uh, I know. That's why it kind of bumps it up in my rewatch meter, just for mm-hmm. the camp of it. Yeah. But. Like a, here's a few of the user review titles. This person liked it, gave it 8 out of 10. They called it DS9's Beach episode. Uh, this person gave it 2 out of 10 and called it, yes, this is a really terrible episode. Uh, this person called it Riza Unrising. <laughs> and you really got a Riza out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sorry. Right. And then <laughs> this one is a 1 star out of 10. and It's called Like an Outbreak of Gonorrhea. So if you <laughs> want to go and read those scathing reviews on IMDb, Check that out. Yeah. Next week, we have a show called Things Past. And it is set in uh, the, whatever, a bunch of people go back to the uh, Cardassian occupation. Oh, shit. Tarek Noor. Directed by LeVar Burton. Oh, man. It is. Oh. All right. It's a time travel, but it's one of those time travel in your mind kind of things. Mm. Uh, Episodes. And so, yeah. All right. There we go. Oh, it's got Kurtwood Smith in it. 
Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We got some RoboCop up in this book. RoboCop. Kirkwood Smith <laughs> is uh, Kirkwood Smith is a personal love of mine that I just oh, never man. get over. Oh, man. Mark Alamo as Gold Cot and Kirkwood Smith. It's going to be lit next week, everybody. <laughs> Compared to Klingons, humans are fragile creatures. I realized at that moment, to live among them, I must practice restraint. That must have been difficult for you. At first. In time, it became a part of who I was, who I am. And you're still afraid that if you lose control... Someone I care about might get hurt. That explains a lot. Man, do you think they're going to go eight for eight on... On the on the quality on the quality, that's pretty. <laughs> One of my favorite non Robocop Kurtwood Smith uh, roles is he's in a House episode where he plays Dave Matthews's father. <laughs> Dave Matthews is uh, is mentally handicapped. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That sounds like you're making <laughs> that up. Mutual, what is but this? he's a musical prodigy. It's a House episode. Where Kirk Matthews plays somebody on the spectrum. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's had a, he had a, a brain damage when he was uh, like a he had like a kick in the head or something when he was a kid. <laughs> and and by a mule. And then he, when the he farm. woke up, he, but when he woke up, he was a musical prodigy. No, but like on the piano, oh. like he was like a great pianist. Yeah. He, he didn't play jam band music like a no, prodigy. He, he wasn't a jam band prodigy, but it's funny. <laughs> And um, <laughs> he got kicked by a horse, and he's like, "Oh, watch me jingle!" And obviously, on this the obviously the thing is, is that House can fix him, but it takes away his musical ability. Yeah, like it's. But Kirkwood Smith is 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 perfect. In that. <laughs> it's a real flowers Kurt for Algernon. Smith's like, he's, we've got a double bill with fish. We can't, we can't, um, we can't fix this kid. <laughs> oh. We gotta go on tour with Mo soon. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, we might just have to do a separate escape pod where 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 you tell where us we about, about jam bands. No, where you talk about guests on House and give us a just tell us what happened. <laughs> my, my favorite guest uh, starring's on House. Yes. yes. <laughs> Guess who's that? Who's coming to the house? <laughs> it really is great. Uh, Jeremy Renner has a great one where he plays a punk rocker who's addicted to crystal meth. You're just <laughs> making that up. I am actually not. <laughs> You're just making that. Up. You just, you've got, you've got scraps of paper and that you, for, you pull from a hat where Jeremy Renner is a punk rocker and he's addicted to crystal meth. You're just, you're pulling the shit from a bowl and scraps of paper. You're, you've, you've taken like the family guy that's, writer's that's, uh, technique. That's how they did it on house. They were just... <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> wait. Uh, we should. We've gone a little long. I think maybe we've gone too long. So maybe we should just uh, right. wrap it up. Well, how here. are folks going to get a hold of us if they want to do that for next time? Oh yeah, they definitely should. We definitely want to hear from you. Uh, give us a call at nine one seven four zero eight three eight nine eight. The Kickers of Elves hotline number. Uh, let us know what you want us to know about DS9 or whatever, or shoot us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support us for and what we do, 
give us uh, some money at our Patreon at patreon.com slash kickers of elves. But we'll also try to give you something. We've got a lot of other stuff over there. We've got our Dune podcast series, Much a Dune about nothing. and Which is probably over by this point, I believe. Yeah, probably done. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> But we've got uh, whatever we're talking about before we're recording these. We get special bonus content for you guys. It's over there on the Patreon and got a whole community with that. All right. It's pretty great. Uh, all right. Uh, is that it for this week? I believe, I believe so. so. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Rules of Acquisition. We hope you join us next week as we unpack another episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. For Wade, James, and myself, three to beam out. Bye-bye, baby. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you because one day they hope to sell you blue apron snacks and underwear made out of modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.